Hi, I'm Johanna Weaver, and you're listening to Tech Mirror, a podcast that talks about how humans shape technology and how technology is shaping our society. Hello, and welcome to Tech Mirror. Today, we are bringing out the big guns. My guest is Gina Cascotley. She's the chair of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission and arguably one of Australia's most powerful regulators. Gina, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Joanna. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Thank you. We are too. Um, We're going to start with a little bit of a softball question for you, which is you started uh, in your role just over a year ago. um, And before that, you uh, were a lawyer. You were a founding partner of the competition and regulation practice at Gilbert and Tobin. So what's it been like um, swapping swapping sides, I guess? And I've heard you described as poacher turned gamekeeper. Is that an analogy that resonates with you? While, uh, yes, much of my work was uh, uh, corporate-related work, I also acted for industry associations looking to shape uh, new regulatory frameworks. I I also acted for government and I've now for 10 years been on the Payment System Board as a regulator of access in, as you would know well, Joanna, sort of fast-moving technological development in payments. So uh, I always had a broader view and and a mixed engagement with these questions. And so it is a marvellous opportunity to be now sitting in the table at a time of such change um, with a remarkable team um, able to actually be fully informed, focused on key questions and able to take them forward. Yeah. One of the things we grapple with a lot at the Tech Policy Design Centre, but also on this podcast, is how do we equip and upskill policymakers and regulators to know enough about technology to be able to make good policy and to be able to make good regulatory decisions? How have you worked to understand the technology throughout your career? Because it's, it's something that we grapple with a lot. In private practice, I kept informed really by keeping close to industry and seeing what was changing and understanding what they were working on and also engaging with universities and expert researchers who were looking to it. At the Commission, we have a much deeper capability to do this. Firstly, we have brought our own internal tech expertise, strategic data analytical, but in addition, using new tools, um, new software tools, new platforms in order to be able to inform the way we work, but also in order to see horizon scan as to what is happening. So it is a conscious and intentional part of Mm. the way we engage with these issues. We also get briefings um, from industry, from users, from consumers who are worried about development, consumer advocates who are worried about development. So it allows us to have a real breadth of input, which is much more than I was accessing when I was trying in private practice to keep basically up with what was happening and drawing on it. We are doing that in a very intentional investing in it way here at the ACCC. 
traditionally people think that government has less access to expertise for technologists because of um, the fact that many of these technologists work in industry. So it's really, I guess, heartening to hear you say that that expertise you feel you have more access to within the ACCC than you did uh, within private practice. Do you think it is possible for the ACCC to keep pace with the rate of change that's happening? I think regulators can keep pace and regulation must keep pace. Mm. Uh, So that when we look at how can regulators do it, so part of it is a commitment to it and the ACCC moved in a very forward way, um, so in 2017, mm. to then do the first, produce the first digital platforms inquiry report in 2019, actually one of the first ones globally, yeah. um, which led to the news bargaining code, but was informed by a, a wide breadth of review of impacts. So there is an advantage in starting at a time and then keeping committed to looking uh, to developments. It does not mean that we can keep across every development in the same depth. We can't. However, we do a mixture of a breadth of keeping across key developments. So mm. each meeting of the relevant uh, team that we have, including with the commissioners who engage with, with particularly digital platform and tech questions, we do a horizon scanning across key technical developments that have come since the last meeting and key regulatory developments since a lot of change and proposals are happening internationally. Mm. And then we focus where we are having the greatest concerns about potential consumer harms and competition harms. So it's a combination, how can we do it? I'm not suggesting we can keep across the depth of every development in every possible technical application, but we keep that mixture of across the top to make sure we are seeing where change is occurring and then very focused attention in the areas where we see the most concerns developing from an Australian regulatory point of view. Just moving to my must, it's why we have so uh, strongly emphasised the value of having targeted service-specific codes and, first of all, the government which is still considering the recommendations from our last year, September regulatory reform recommendations. But we are proposing in consumer a set of really clear safeguards apply to every platform to protect against scams, harmful apps, uh, misleading reviews, uh, and for mandatory dispute resolution processes. So that we're saying cover it, provide safety net and clear safeguards because consumers currently are facing real harms. But in the competition recommendations, we see this is moving very quickly. We are asking for a really sort of broad regulatory framework in legislation, but the key obligations would then come in targeted service-specific codes, which would enable us to be adapting quickly to what is happening in the technology and also adapting quickly to international developments that are happening from a regulatory point of view. And it would involve consultation with the relevant, specifically designated, uh, significant influential platforms and consumers and uh, experts, academic experts, so that we would get the regulatory obligations right and in a timely way using a code mechanism. So we, we have sought to address this question also in the recommendation as to the regulatory framework and the tools. Mm-hmm. 
a short plug here for some some work that the Tech Policy Design Centre has been doing when you're right. talking there about keeping on top of all of the different regulatory proposals. Um, we've developed a, a Tech Policy Atlas, which is a repository. We're currently covering 36 jurisdictions about to expand, um, but really it covers everything from consumer and competition through to national security, through to cybersecurity, through to digital economy. And it's an excellent resource for people who are looking to compare and contrast different approaches uh, globally. Jenna, you you were talking there about the different approaches that the ACCC is proposing around competition and consumer. You also spoke at your press club uh, address saying that the digital issues really highlight the importance and complementarity between that work. There was also this really interesting interview that uh, Lena Khan, your counterpart at the Federal Trade Commission, gave uh, recently with Kara Swisher on her podcast, um, where she was talking about the FTC as a uh, pro-innovation agency. So I'm just wondering if you can talk, I guess it's about the regulatory philosophy of the ACCC and how that the consumer um, focus, the competition focus, but also your focus on innovation as well and how that all comes together. Worldwide, only about half of the competition or antitrust agencies are also consumer protection mm. agencies. And it's something that has struck me in the over one year that I have been in this role, how much stronger, better focused and more thoughtful the deliberations are because the ACCC from its inception has been both a consumer protection agency and uh, promoter of competition as an agency. Mm. And uh, I'll give an example of it, Joanna, though it, it, in every matter that we look at, we are keeping focused on the ways in which removing competitive impediments improve the quality, affordability of services and, and of choice for consumers and therefore deliver benefits for business, for markets, and for consumers. An example is our social media services report, the one that uh, we released in March this year. That covered not only looking carefully at the competitive questions, the uh, new entry, TikTok, uh, as critically for one, as one example, but carefully analysed the looking at the closeness of competition and the continuing market power of Meta. Mm. Um, and in looking at both Facebook and Instagram and also looked at new business models, the growth of influences. So it covered aspects across the competitive framework and the competitive landscape and change. But in addition, we particularly looked at the implications for consumers. Uh, the benefits that consumers are getting, but also the aspects that are occurring through, for example, the focus, uh, the uh, amount of uses through the designs in the platforms to keep users mm. using the platforms on screen uh, and uh, in effect using our behavioural implications and, and psychological assumptions and framings in order to draw us, and particularly in younger demographics, to more and more time on screen. Uh, the way in which it entrenches and reinforces uh, at times polarised ways of thinking, 
we had interesting submissions from bodies representing young people who have eating disorders, for instance, and mm. the way in which social media impacts are reinforcing vulnerabilities and playing upon vulnerabilities. So it is a report that you would only get from an agency that has both a competition focus and a consumer focus overall looking not only at welfare in an economic sense, but in a broader social sense. Mm. In terms of innovation, many in the tech sector, particularly large global incumbents, will say that regulation impedes innovation. What the ACCC is drawing out, and our report five in September last year was a good example, is that actually when you have a concentration of ownership, and particularly in the way we are seeing the uh, large uh, global digital platforms expanding out across the ecosystem, so not only holding uh, power in the specific segments of original services that they offered, but self using self-preferencing and other means to expand into adjacent services so that uh, you have a situation where even without, and they also engage in acquisition of uh, new entrants or nascent competitors in particular adjacent sections, you actually have a situation that removes the capacity for innovation across very diverse and new entrants and all of the um, benefits that can arise from that, from competition producing uh, innovation and greater choice uh, across the tech sector because of that ability to constrain and impede mm. the entry and the expansion and the access to followers, users um, on the platforms even the stature that they have now reached. Let's dive a little bit down into the recommendations you've made around unfair trading practices. I thought it was really interesting in the press club speech that you gave that you're very clear about saying that the ACCC understands the significant benefits that digital platforms provide. But as you've said, that there's this range of conduct that does create widespread competition and consumer harms. The bit I was most interested in, in what you had then said, was that many of these harms cannot be adequately addressed by Australia's current laws. And this is why your um, ACCC has put forward and proposed this economy-wide prohibition against unfair trading practices, among many of the other recommendations, and also strengthening uh, unfair contract terms. Can you, perhaps just for the listeners who aren't lawyers, uh, give an example of what you mean by unfair trading practices? And then could you explain a little bit about why you think the current laws that we have are insufficient or not fit for purpose? One good example that many people will have faced uh, what is frequently called a subscription trap. So we will have been offered a either free period to come on to a new online service or, or a discounted period and then it will return to, at the end of that period, a full subscription-paying basis. Uh, in order to first open the account and come on, we will have given a credit card uh, uh, means of payment. You have an absolute right in the terms, so it would not 
qualify as an unfair term, we have a right to terminate the subscription. However, the process of the way the subscription is established, <laughs> virtually <laughs> impossible to exercise that right to terminate. I'm laughing because my husband would be saying, yes, Johanna does not terminate in the background. Sorry, Gina, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, jo- Joanna, we, my family has had this experience. I mean, uh, virtually, so here you are. Yeah. A judge would look at the terms. Yeah. They would say, oh, there's a right to terminate but it's impossible. Nobody will ever pick up the phone and then terminate. There isn't an easy click and you terminate. You could click and sign on, but Mm. you can't click and terminate. So the actual practice and process of the business, Mm. and as we are all now over 75% of our transactions are occurring in an online environment, Mm. the ease of becoming committed Mm. and giving the payment mechanisms, but the difficulty of terminating that subscription Mm. is actually having, it's not just frustrating, it is causing financial loss for people who need to uh, no longer have an interest or actually because of their financial circumstances need to reduce the expenditure. And and so the proposal that you have on the table about uh, unfair tra- an economy wide unfair trading practices and and you also referred earlier to um, the different codes. Um, can you just maybe talk us through that proposal and what the recommendations are for competitive and fair digital platform services um, that were in your last report? So the first recommendation is an economy-wide unfair trading practices prohibition and that the ACCC has been advocating for a number of years. We reference it particularly in the digital platforms and tech context because there are so many examples in the online environment. Uh, Others include sort of false warnings of scarcity, Mm. uh, stop sort of stopwatches that are pressing people to purchase quickly, um, false representations of price discounts when actually the price was never at the higher price. There are just so many examples in an online environment. They do exist in a bricks and mortar and and non-online environment. So we are looking for a broad, general, unfair trading practices prohibition. There is one of this nature in multiple jurisdictions. Mm. The Europeans in many ways have led, but in multiple jurisdictions. And we would give guidance. It would be, we would indicate the manner of uh, practices that we see are problematic, but it would also press businesses to have higher standards mm. in this regard, to not only consider their terms, to, but, but to consider their business process and practices and are they fair to their customers, so to consumers as a whole. In addition, though, we are looking at a very specific set of protections for consumers. Uh, so there a notice and action obligation. So mm-hmm. when notice is given of a scam or notice is, is given of fake reviews, that there is an obligation to take action to take them down promptly uh, uh, in relation to prevent the biggest risks of scams losses. So $1.5 billion losses in the past year from investment scams that uh, the platforms would have the obligation to do verification of identity of parties, particularly parties who are putting up advertising on the platforms for financial products, that there would be requirements to do this, uh, basically know the advertiser coming onto the platform Mm -hmm. to check them against various regulatory and 
other registers in order to ensure that it is a legitimate party because frequently they are not and it, it produces uh, a strong contribution to the level of losses from scams and then also a mandatory requirement to have dispute resolution processes. Currently, uh, we have consistent feedback from small businesses and consumers that they are enabled to get engagement when they have a problem, they have a dispute, they have a question, they have a loss, and so that there would be mandatory dispute resolution processes and also an external uh, independent ombuds who those disputes could be taken to if it wasn't internally resolved. So it's a set of protections that we think are really quite urgent to be put in place legislatively across digital platforms, regardless of size. Mm. Um, it, it, it is in relation to the competition areas of protections and measures that we are looking at a much more targeted uh, approach so that there would be a regulatory, a legislative framework that would allow service by service binding codes of conduct, which only designated digital platforms. So the largest, most influential uh, digital platforms would be designated and then the code would only apply to their offering of services, which is informed, Joanna, by that question about innovation. Mm. We don't want to throw a blanket over the whole industry and the whole sector. We want in terms of these competitive measure obligations that they're targeted only at those that are the largest, most influential and are capable of exercising market power and that that would then address issues like anti-competitive self-preferencing the sort of exclusive pre-installation agreements mm -hmm. that are had with the OEMs, the device manufacturers, so that many users may not be aware that it's a pre-installed web browser or search machine uh, rather than an ability to make a choice. Mm. And, and would the intention be that those codes are uh, designed and uh, overseen by the ACCC? The answer to that is, in most instances, uh, yes, yeah. that uh, we would build upon having carefully undertaken with consultation as a design process mm. so that across the whole uh, sector there would be the ability for stakeholders uh, to consult and give submissions and then to ensure that the framing and the design uh, meets the needs and including consumer needs and small business needs. And we would then bring our capacity not to monitor and report, but also to enforce. And we have uh, many decades of experience mm. in enforcement to ensure that uh, legal obligations, regulatory obligations are complied with. You're listening to Tech Mirror, a podcast from the Australian National University's Tech Policy Design Centre. If you like what you're hearing, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating or, even better, leave us a short review on your podcast platform of choice. Now, enough interruptions from me. Let's dive back into this episode. So, Gina, we've been 
talking uh, in a bit of a deep dive about various different aspects of the ongoing inquiry, maybe if we just take a step back, which is probably where I should have started. In fact, it was it was where I intended to start, but we uh, we delved down the the uh, flow of the conversation. The reports that we're talking about are part of a series of reports. Most people probably uh, probably heard because it was you know quite big in 2019 when the first of these reports um, came down, um, which led to the media bargaining. Uh, code, um, the sort of face-off with Facebook and Google. Um, and But this body of work is ongoing. It will go to the Treasurer in 2025. You're putting out these reports basically every six months. Um, and, you know, a shout out here in particular to Kate Reader and her team um, who lead that work. I mean, it's just the tempo and the quality of the work that they're putting out is extraordinary. We've touched on some of the reports, so things like um, private messaging apps, search and browsers, online retail, social media. What is one of the things that you wish people like me or politicians paid more attention to in the process of this inquiry? Because there's obviously the things that people always pick up and focus on in the media. What would you encourage us to focus more on? Thanks for that question, Joanna, and also thank you. And I want to add my shout out that Kate Reader's team is a remarkable team with just huge capability, commitment, dedication. When I look at what are ones that we wish received greater attention, I think a critical point here to look to is firstly the operation across in the control and the desire to control the ecosystem as a whole. Mm. So to not just look uh, service by service, but to look at the business model and strategy and the way in which through a combination of self-preferencing, acquisition, uh, the overall business model, deep granular uh, data, which is then able to be used to see uh what are the searches done, the purchases made, where are the areas of new services that would be able to increase uh, user engagement and therefore uh, the ability to earn return from users' uh, screen time, mm. let's put it that way, but that that's um, not really capturing the screen time and purchasing, which will then in a forward way help inform strategically the areas that the platforms in, move into because mm. they have a forward-looking ability uh, to gauge where it, it is the best way to next develop the business. So the report that we are currently working on, our seventh report, is looking at this question of the ecosystem business strategy, Mm -hmm. what it means, how it's engaged in. And so I actually think, Joanna, you already are, as indeed the atlas you were talking about, you are already looking for the overall picture and the overall impact. And we are finding that that is a very important aspect that in some ways at times people can get in effect locked into a sort of vertical by vertical analysis without seeing how it all is integrated and reinforces Mm. uh, the harms in various respects. Mm. 
I'm going to change tack now and talk a little bit about the topic du jour, artificial intelligence. The Federal Trade Commission uh, and many of its uh, regulators in the US have come out with specific statements about, in effect, putting the makers of artificial intelligence on notice that they're being watched, uh, particularly around unfair um, and uh, claims that, that they may or may not be able to substantiate. Is the ACCC looking at AI and is this something that you are focused on, concerned about? How is this issue being treated for you? It's a rapidly developing area and as you're <laughs> noting, Joanna, certainly du jour um, with a lot of focus. We are actively considering it and we're monitoring it and think it is a great example of where the regulatory reform recommendations we published last year would be well capable and important to uh, have in place. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the safeguards from a consumer point of view, to the extent to which and we can see this capacity that AI can introduce or exacerbate a range of risks to consumers, increased exposure to scams, or all of that replicating voice, mm. for for example, and incorrect information and misinformation, the consumer safeguards would be very valuable to have those obligations in place so that they were taken into account uh, by the companies as they deploy uh AI, as we all know, is currently already happening here in Australia as well, mm. so that they would need to take into account the safeguards in design. Uh, and then in addition, it's another great example of, of rapid development where the capacity to have codes would be helpful. The other way in which, I mean, we're also very focused here on an issue that we have brought out in a number of the inquiries, ad tech, for example, search, for example, in terms of given the role of data as an input into AI and mm -hmm. the vast data held by the largest digital platforms, it is clearly part of where the advantage, where will advantage sit mm -hmm. in the companies that will be best able to deploy and exploit AI because of that engagement with the data, huge bodies of data that and granular, very specific data that they hold. We are not only looking at this ourselves, you will be aware with the ACMA, OAIC, and eSafety Commissioner and us, and we have a digital technology working group and we are chairing that working group. Um, it's currently exploring regulatory implications of large language models, so of LNM. So we are looking very specifically at that question. We are uh, getting doing workshops together to share our experiences, to obtain briefings about where um, the technology is moving and we're doing that with experts from academia and from industry. Mm. When we talk about the regulation of AI, one of my, um, I guess, bugbears around it is that there still seems to be this conversation about artificial intelligence as something specific, uh, when actually artificial intelligence is many, many different types of technology that are used in particular ways. Um, do you, do, uh, the ACCC takes a largely technology neutral approach um, to the work that you do. Um, is this something that you think is important and will continue to be a feature of the ACCC's approach? 
It is. And and it is why we prefer to have economy-wide laws mm. and the unfair trading practices um, prohibition, for instance, so that there aren't arguments and, and frankly, at times, um, avoidance mechanisms for industries or applications to say that they're in or they're out. Mm. Um, yeah. The And we are always looking at, from a technologically neutral perspective, at the function, the benefits and the potential harms of technology. We do, however, recognise at times that market failures only exist in relation to a specific service industry technology, particularly relating if it is uh, we are seeing market concentration and power reflected in particular providers, but we start with a technology neutral basis and we do so to ensure that firstly we're properly informed, we're reading it properly, but also that the regulatory framework won't won't, um, create an uneven playing field and also won't create uh, opportunities or incentives for avoidance. To what extent is your cooperation with international partners a learning experience versus a practical, actual cooperation leading to action, I guess? It's both Mm. and it's really valuable. So it's happening uh, matter by matter. So uh, transactions that are globally proposed acquisitions that will also take place in Australia, we will be engaging with the competition authorities in each of the key jurisdictions where the transaction is occurring and our teams will be speaking regularly. We also have uh, very tech-focused ongoing uh, close relationships, particularly with a number of uh, leading agencies uh, globally with a tech focus. So that includes the UK CMA, which has a, a very capable called data division and also with the Dutch and there our, te- our technology teams and data analytical teams are sharing the ways in which we are using AI in some respects in interrogating. So as you're saying, Joanna, there are multiple different applications for mm-hmm. this in, in an investigative sense, but also we have shared code that engaged in web scraping in order to do particular analysis and we shared that code with some agencies and they share code that they are developing mm-hmm. with us. So we have quite specific engagements and then we have broader engagements. We are together in uh, a body that uh, is called the Five Eyes. Um, Has anyone heard of it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, frankly, my my husband, you talk to me, also says to me, why isn't it at least ten eyes? But still, (laughs) um, the point is why these come together. So it's Australia, the US, Canada, New Zealand. We are all common law jurisdictions. Mm. That does frame the way in which our laws will be framed and the way enforcement will occur. But we are looking at a number of digital uh, aspects there and we meet regularly where we look at the problems we're observing, the capacity of an enforcement model uh, in a common law jurisdiction to respond and manage it and as we are and the UK currently is uh, because the bill 
entered in the UK Parliament in the last few weeks to have, in fact, a framing very similar to our recommendations. And we had kept very close to key jurisdictions as we were framing mm. the recommendations. Uh, but theirs is looking at across and wide, economy-wide, consumer protections and then a code targeted code-specific uh, approach. It, it appears to have bipartisan support. It's at a legislative uh, House of Commons committee assessment process currently. So we are keeping close both on what we can learn in a technology sense with our technology teams speaking mm. to each other and how we can apply it to our own uh, investigative processes and analytical processes. Then we do it relevantly matter by matter and, and more broadly we're looking at uh, how we are all assessing and where the right regulatory measures and tools can be. What advice would you would you give to people who who want to work in this field but may sometimes be daunted at the scale and scope uh, or feel that there's you know the the uh, the task is so large that it's difficult to know where to start? It's a really great question, I think, Joanna. Um, and I come back to to use uh, the sorts of your atlas is a great example, um, and uh, to use whether through podcasts or blogs, there are great ones that will give a, a, a brilliant scanning of what is happening so that people don't need to feel they need themselves to capture everything and put it all together. So yeah. that that way is there are such wonderful resources available to get that overall picture so that you don't need to spend your time doing that. And I am assisted in that very much by that our team is engaged with these methods all the time mm. and then distill the, an overall picture and change for me. So I, I'm uh, deeply um, grateful for and reliant on that. The really important point is then what you focus on. Mm. For the ACCC, we're informed by harms and where we need where, where we have the current powers to act and where we need more powers to act because, and also by the need to provide to government through the reports a, a capture of the areas that are important to Australian consumers and the Australian economy. So that, that gives us our focus. But for others, it is actually a huge opportunity. It's incredibly exciting, the developments here, and it produces opportunity, including for um, us here in Australia, to find areas of interest because the area of change produces the opportunity to make a difference, actually, to be engaged in an area, to cast a light on what's occurring, to uh, consider a, a new service, new innovation. There have been great examples. Um, they're now sort of incredibly well developed, um, but at Lassian, manifestly incredibly well developed. Canva, now they're hugely successful. But the point mm. is Australia has the capacity mm. um, to, and Australians have the capacity to uh, be innovative, having focused on an area of need that's not being met or an area that um, is being met but not well. 
I think that's excellent advice. Um, you know, don't feel you need to know everything. Choose your bit and and uh, engage. Uh, and I definitely second that. Exactly. The final piece, the final question we always ask is, um, and you spoke there about, you know, you don't need to to know it all, find the resources that are that are useful to give you that breadth. Are there any particular resources apart from your wonderful team that unfortunately we don't all have access to, although their reports are excellent, so we, yes. I guess we do by proxy. Um, any recommendations that uh, books or, or, or blogs you mentioned um, that you uh, go to? Looking at more in a focused way, sort of technology policy issues and develops, developments. You previously referred to Kara Swisher, and so I find really valuable the Pivot podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also the Platform Law blog. So that just gives us the sort of UK EU perspective and so much really groundbreaking is happening with the EU, DMA, DSA, and if this UK legislation is passed and it looks likely the UK w- will be the next to move into this ex-ante approach, w- which we really are favouring, as you can see, in our competition recommendation. And then we find just excellent the information Um Mm-hmm. And also the Decoder podcast. Um, so while probably the most jaw-dropping, I think one might say, uh, <laughs> elements that came this week was actually in the testimony in the Senate inquiry relating to AI and these sort of moments of uh, self-admission of what the possible impacts of AI would be from a founder and developer, you, you do through the, that podcast actually interviewing tech CEOs, yeah. hearing people talk about what they're doing and why and what their rationale is does give a lot of insight. So we find that valuable in the way you are doing through this podcast series, um, Joanna. It just When people speak, you learn. You learn what's really motivating them and it, it helps understand and colour, gives colour and movement to what's happening. It's very important to be engaged with it. Thank you so much. That is a treasure trove of recommendations there. Thank you so much, Gina, for your time and for sharing the ACCC's priorities. Um, we really appreciate it and uh, look forward to working with you and your team um, on this very, very important work. Thank you, Joanna, and it's great to have the engagement that you have with our team. I thank you for it and also for this opportunity to speak with you. Thank you so much. Tech Mirror is a podcast of the Tech Policy Design Centre at the Australian National University. This episode was recorded on Ngunnawal lands with sound engineering by ANU Studio. Amy Denmead provided invaluable research support. Post-production is by Martin Franklin from East Coast Studio. Thanks for listening. Get in touch and get involved. Thank you.